Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Jad Mucci. Jad, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, David. Happy to be here. Uh, for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about you and uh, what you do? Sure. So I'm the co-founder and CTO of Bad VR. I've been coding since I was a kid, have degrees in computer engineering and psychology, and uh, always been in and around startups for most of my career. And I actually met my first investor while racing cars uh, down in Florida Everglades uh, at <laughs> 200 miles an hour. Uh, just, yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have the same experience. Uh, that's really common. So uh, that's that's really cool. How did you... Okay, so we're just going to dig into that a little bit. Like how... <laughs> long have you been racing? Like what cars were you racing? Give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So I've always been into taking things apart and putting them back together. And when I was in college, I, I found some people who were doing that with vehicles, which was a lot more fun than doing it with uh, little electronics. So I just started to learn it, hang out with them. And, and that cultivated an interest. And at the time it was it was what you know a college student can afford. So it's cheap cars <laughs> from an auction. It's whatever the hand-me-downs were from the parents type of thing. You know, nothing, nothing of particular note. But, uh, you know, once upon a time, many, many years later, a friend of mine got something really, really fancy and said, oh, I want to show it off. I want to go to this event and race it. And I said, all right, cool. I'll ride along. And we drove from Virginia to Florida and uh, showed up in a brand new Corvette. And it was the cheapest piece of crap there. There was all <laughs> kinds of crazy things you've never even heard of. Everything had been modified. People flew in on private jets. We were totally fish out of water, but we realized in that moment, wait a second, it's crossed into this other world and maybe there's opportunity. And so it was a car event, but it turned into networking opportunity. And, you know, uh, I, I think investment. there's... I think there's actually an important uh, lesson there. Um, I mean, I don't think I had quite the same experience uh, racing cars, but um, I definitely got my first web development job based on hanging out at uh, TED-related cocktail parties. That's where I met the founder hmm. of my first startup. And the, the way that that went down is I told him that, you know, I just met him. He was an interesting guy. And at some point in time, he had mentioned that his startup was using this cool new technology at the time called Ruby on Rails. And he was telling me a little bit about it. At the time, I had not heard of it. Ruby on Rails was actually extremely new at the time, but they did have that awesome uh, website up with the little screencast of right. creating a blog in five minutes. And so he had told me about it, told me how cool it was. I went home, watched the blog, uh, or watched the, the screencast of creating the blog, uh, learned what I could, did some tutorials, built. And what was funny about that is I, I then ran into him at another party. And so I was able to say, oh, hey, that thing that you told me about, uh, that was super cool. I actually, after in between, I started building some stuff with it, and it, it, uh, you're, you're right. It's, it's like way better than anything I was doing before. And he just immediately on the spot was like, "Do you want a job?" And <laughs> I, um, I, it's one of those things where you can get such a. I mean, obviously, there's some other things at play in putting in the work and being interested and curious about what they're, you know, working on or what they're interested in, but. For the most part, being in the right place at the right time, having these conversations and networking and developing these relationships with people really can 
shortcut a lot of things that that you would have to a lot of the hoops that you might have to jump through without doing that. So, yeah, I'm, I love your story. So was it just he was he was racing another car or something and you, you were striking up the conversation or how did that go down? Yeah, basically, I saw a cool looking car and I just went up to the person who appeared to own it. And I said, hey, this looks pretty cool. I don't even really know what this is, but can I can I hop in? Can I take mm. a ride in this? And he said, yeah, I just got it back from the shop. You know, it, uh, uh, it, it's it's kind of brand new. I haven't really driven it yet. But yeah, let's uh, let's take it for a spin. And and we hit it. You no, know, no helmets, nothing like that. Hit 205 in a, <laughs> a standing mile uh, on a runway. And I turned to the guy and I said, how, what what? What happened here? And he said, oh, yeah, no, I just got it back from the shop where I had been enhancing it and modifying and adding a million things. And uh, I said, oh, is that kind of what you do? He said, no, not really. But but, you know, what about what about you? What do you do? And I said, I do technology stuff. I do software and apps. He said, you know, I've got an idea for an app. And so I was sitting there, you know, in in, a, in an expensive car with somebody who had flown in on a jet that obviously had means and resources, had lots of opportunities. And, you know, the opportunity sort of presented itself that he had an idea, he had something that he wanted to do. And I was in a position where I could strike up a conversation with him and get to know him and potentially explore that opportunity. And I think that we both knew we were risk takers. We both knew we were we were open minded enough to strike up conversation with strangers. And so it's those like there are skills beyond the technical skills sometimes that create that opportunity. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, too. It's not your Ruby experience that got you that job, but maybe it's the initiative you took. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it depends what they're looking for. Right. And uh, I think in your situation, too. Right. I think some people listening to this might be thinking something along the lines like the the opportunity was was for you. You had everything to gain in that situation. But the way that I think about it as as I'm listening to you is it's more like you were you were listening and you were thinking of ways that you could make this person's life better and you were open to coming up with ways of giving value to him. That's right. I wasn't pitching him my app idea. He was pitching me his app idea. So I almost thought that it almost felt like I was the one getting pitched for the opportunity more so than me, me presenting myself to him. So it's, yeah, it is a listening issue. You know, I heard a problem and I offered a solution. I said, hey, I might be able to help with that. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, in, in my experience, you know, in my, in my story, right? I mean, I was listening to him. He was really excited about this technology. And for me to talk a little bit more about that later, it's not surprising that he was interested in listening to me about it uh yeah. for me to say oh yeah i went home and this is what i i built with it and this is this is my experience here's the trouble i had with it but here's what i did to you know do whatever like that would that would be interesting to him and and unsurprisingly it's because that's what he was he was living at the time right he was building a technology team specifically to use this new technology that almost nobody else was using right and so for him to find someone that is really interested and engaged in it to the point that they are going to invest their own their own time learning and figuring these things out that's pretty valuable to him because on the flip side you could imagine him in a situation where he's looking for these developers and at the time maybe they're using java or php or perl or something like that and they're like what the hell is this ruby thing this is weird all this magical stuff like like no 
whereas I was much more excited. And, you know, I was I was junior, but I think he he and there's different managers, right? Some managers want people who bring all of their experience with them. They are ready on day one to do all the things that they've done in years past for you. And then there's other managers that are pretty sure that whatever they're going to have you do has not been done before. And that experience may be useful or maybe get in the way. But what they definitely want is someone who can learn and adapt to whatever the new situation. I think he was more he was on more of that side of the fence. And whatever I just did would not have worked really well, I think, for another type of. So what when you're looking for an engineer, which side do you agree with those two sides? And if so, do you fall on one or the other? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I like the concept of hiring people who are really well experienced, but I like the reality of hiring people who are demonstrating excitement, passion, willingness to learn. Self-learning is really important. Um, the stuff that we do is really kind of out there. So nobody's done it before. So nobody has experience doing it. So if they have some fundamental level understanding of how technology works or how coding is done, it doesn't really matter what experience or what languages they have experience in if they're willing to explore this new world that we're seeking out. And so I I think I'm of the mindset that I prefer juniors now Mm. because they have uh, an open mind and they have a, you know, a beginner's mind. They approach something without preconceived notions about how it was done 20 years ago or 10 years ago, which is obsolete, um, maybe even five years ago. So yeah, I definitely lean towards, I like juniors right now. And I like that concept. Recently, I had our friend uh, Eric Gradman on this one. He was talking about how uh, he definitely now really likes that that, uh, interns that he's had that he Hmm. can see, you know, really had that adaptability and, self-learning and uh, growth rather than the uh, experienced senior dev with, I don't really want to use the word baggage, but he, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, um, that's certainly like his take and two bit circus, right? Again, they're trying to do things that have never been done before. I can totally imagine somebody at a company where it's like, no, don't improvise. Don't go off script. We've gotten this figured out. Like you're just going to cause a mess if you try and be junior or whatever. But sounds like that's clearly not not. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what you are working on? Like what types of projects you have? Yeah, yeah, sure. So company's name is Bad VR, And what that stands for is bring all your data to <laughs> VR. And so we're a data visualization company. We're trying to recreate that minority report Iron Man experience. And, and have that concept of stepping inside of information and exploring it and using your hands to move it around and shape it around. You're wearing a headset or maybe a smartphone or whatever the device is. But the point is that it's a new way to think about data where it's not this like graphs and charts, two-dimensional world, but it's this entire universe of uh, entire environments full of information, learn and explore and find patterns and all of that, make a collaborative experience. That's what we're doing. And that's why I think we're, we're doing things that nobody even knows how to approach doing, especially mm-hmm. us. So this is why it's so exciting to have people who have that new perspective and people who haven't grown up on the old way of doing things. Um, but then at the same time, we like people who are really experienced, but have that mentality of always learning new things. So I, I think it's that characteristic more than any other 
that if you just have willingness to learn new things continuously, that's the right characteristic or one of the right ones to have in having a career in this. Industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't find it surprising that, that you're not out seeking people with uh, 20 years of data visualization and VR experience. Uh. We tried it. It didn't work. <laughs> It, they just kept trying to make something look like this, you know, things out of the nineties and yeah, we're trying totally. to make things look like they're out of the 20, 2020s. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember a lot of people talking about web design and, and how, when that became, uh, you know, much more of a, like its own field, there was still a lot of people really trying to bring over things in print and some of it applies, but a lot of it really didn't. And it just kind of got, got in the way. So I guess the question for you then is, okay, so, so how do you check for those? So let's say you're <laughs> interviewing someone, how can you tell if that they have those qualities that you're looking for? Yeah, that's, that's a work in progress, but I would say <laughs> that one of the ways we do it is we, we try them out in some capacity to throw throw them a, a curveball question about, hey, how would you approach solving this problem? What would you use? What wouldn't you use? Why? Um, hey, here's a problem. See if you can tackle it. And I'm not talking about academic textbook problems. I'm talking about, hey, we need a new website. What would you approach? And I'm not even looking for an answer of what technology. I'm looking for an answer of how would they approach it? How mm -hmm. would they go about vetting? Well, what's, you know, what's the right thing to use now? What's cool now? What's effective? What'll make our life easier? Or I'll say, hey, imagine this virtual reality experience, um, but imagine it for colorblind people. Now, what would you mm -hmm. change? How would you do it differently? And you just, you give them these sort of setups and, uh, and then we see how they think through it. So we're really looking for how they answer the question, not what the answer is. Yeah. I think uh, I think one type of uh, approach that I cannot stand that is so prevalent right now, uh, I call them proxy questions. It's sort of, well, if they're smart enough to answer this question, well, then they're clearly smart enough to do these unrelated things that we do. Right. And God, those drive me up a wall. Um, do you do whiteboarding stuff? We don't actually, um, but we might start trying to do that if there was a great tool for that. We, we're not doing them in person, so we have a lot of, everybody mm -hmm. is remote. We all live in the same city, but we all work remotely, especially mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And so we don't really have whiteboards that we can access. And uh, so we don't have the greatest tools in the world to do that. But we've been jumping into like, you know, we've been using VR headsets to jump at these mm -hmm. different programs where we can wave at each other and draw stuff. But for the purpose of the interview, I like to look at code. I like to look at code that somebody's written, and I like to look at code that somebody's written relatively recently, mm -hmm. and then talk and then talk them through it on a screen share. So we've done that sometimes. So maybe it's like a coding whiteboard. Yeah, that makes sense for me. I mean, I not to sound like I'm doing a 180 on you, but uh, I also really do not like uh, whiteboarding because, like, I certainly want to see people's code, but I really don't expect them to do it live right you know it's just pretty unnatural for me i think for me the goal uh is always to try and create a situation most similar to what their working situation will be if they join mm -hmm. the company and so i think what you're saying is really interesting because if you want to if you want to have those conversations you want to have them really 
become and rise to the occasion of a thought partner, you want to see like, can they think these things out multiples? Like, are they capable of walking through these systems and holding the systems in their head and kind of stepping it forward and seeing how the things interact? Um, And I think that's that's definitely a good way to do it. Right. I liked your question about, okay, well, how would you do it? for people who are colorblind and, you know, adding those wrenches uh, in there. Um, so you also see how they react to a mm-hmm. curveball mm-hmm. because the, the fun of coding is everything's a curveball. You get, <laughs> you go through something, you've got it all working and then, oh yeah, oh, by the way, it doesn't support Windows 10 point whatever anymore. And mm-hmm. oh, great. Yeah, that would have been great <laughs> to know at the beginning. How do I deal with that now? So I, I feel like it's perpetually these these scenarios. And so just throwing a few along the way helps them understand what the working environment will be like, but also to see how they react to it. Can they handle the stress of it? Can they, do they freak out? Do they panic? Do they, what is that stress response? So it's almost like a personality test in that regard. But it's still grounded to trying to keep it to be as close of an approximation to the real working environment as possible. I mean, I think, I think if you were so naive to think that uh, and but you, I mean, you know, it's not the case when someone's working on a project, like you say, it's not going to work on, you know, Windows 10 service pack one, right, yeah. whatever. I'm sorry, I'm butchering, butchering, <laughs> however, Microsoft does things, but there's going to be this weird edge case, you're going to run into it just because not you're going to run into that one. But there's literally an infinite number of these edge cases to run into it. And, and so it's going to happen. And, and what's that reaction at Superstructs, we're really big about coding challenges. We try and model them very closely to the work that the the client is doing, right? So if it's an education platform and it's a big thing about quizzes and we're interviewing a front-end role, then it's very much going to be, okay, build a a quiz in React. Very practical. Yep. Um, Unlike, you know, the things that you're doing, we we have, you know, we, we try and really get it on to what we know, at least for the, the short term, is expected. Um, however, one part of that um, that process is no matter what comes back, we always ask for like a feature because we do not want developers who get super defensive or argumentative or whatever. By all means, it's great if they can provide reason, preference, and things like that. But we always want to know, like, all right, okay, but here's this change to do it, like. If someone blows up at that or is like, no, or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you get your, your positive signals and your negative signals. But I think that if they are excited by a change, oh, great. Yeah, if this is exciting. I'm, I'm really into this. That's, that can be good in many ways. If they, if they are kind of put off by it, if they're afraid of it, if they try to circle around, you know, circumnavigate it or try to evade it, that's kind of a red flag. And so it's, it's, not to intimidate people who are going into an interview, but you know every reaction and expression and every angle. We're we're not looking for a manufactured response. We just want to know what we're getting into. We want to know who the person is. We, in some respect, want to help that person grow, and we want to grow by having that person inside the company as well. And we're a small company, so every person that comes in. We're 10 people. So a new person is Mm. a new 10% of the company. And so we, we like to get along with those people. We'd like to have a good culture fit for whatever that even means, but just will these people be happy to work on cool stuff with the rest of us? And 
be a fun person to hang out with in, in the given day. So mm-hmm. that, I, I don't know, there's a lot of soft skills associated with that. Can they get the work done, but also are they pleasant to deal with while getting? Yeah, I feel like I'm going to like start entering a metaphor that I actually don't have a lot of knowledge about, but we're going to roll with it for, for yeah. just a second. It's the difference between showing up for a music recital that you've practiced and you're going to just bang out perfectly or expecting someone to be like okay and now we're gonna do some like improvisation like some jazz and the truth is if you're gonna be working with someone it's a little bit unrealistic to expect that everything that you're gonna ask them to do is just that perfectly practiced one and done type of deal um the value of the working relationship is is often that back and i imagine for the people too that's a more rewarding relation than just being a pair of hands right yeah can people keep their cool while they're working on stuff and can they the the jazz is a good a good parallel because that can be very improvisational and and so it's and it's definitely collaborative it's a multi-person experience so it's a team effort and can they work on a team can they kind of read the room a little bit read the crowd read the read the rest of the team and just sort of fall into a groove and it's not if you're really, really worried about every precise little movement, you're kind of missing the point. It's not about that. It's about getting into a good groove with your team and, and being able to make a little music. It doesn't have to be the, the best music in the world, but it's it's about the process also. Mm-hmm. If you follow a good process, then the output will generally be predictable. And that's more important, I think, than the output being perfect. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very much a fan of the process or the system, rather the goal or the output. I'm kind of a believer that that yeah, it it's more about setting those things up and making that a little bit more principal and refining that than than up. And so that that actually brings me to I guess my next question for you is okay, so let's say you do bring someone on, how what's that onboarding process? Like how mm-hmm. do you um is there one? Yeah, what's the yeah, how do you how do you bring how do you get someone into the team and collaborating with We just throw them right into the deep end. So mm-hmm. we give them something right off of the right off of the pile. We'll give them something that's nice and self-contained, something mm-hmm. that, that maybe takes a day or two, and we'll throw it at them and say, Hey, tackle this. We're not gonna give you really any instruction whatsoever. Just figure it out. And then when you're done, make a presentation about the process. Just do mm-hmm. like a five minute little, you know, thing on our Zoom call, make a little PowerPoint. And so we're also, in some respect, testing communication skills, because mm-hmm. I think that's really important in a small team. We're not looking for people who are just going to do their work and then disappear uh, and sort of the, the code appears in GitHub, but then we don't even really ever interact with the person who's making it appear. We're looking for that more, I guess, more of a team experience. Mm-hmm. So that's that presentation angle of them walking through, hey, here's what I did. Here's what I tried. This didn't work. This did work. It also is really good knowledge for everybody to have because then everybody's getting collectively more experience. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a shared experience that we'll do at the very beginning of an onboarding. Um, we'll give somebody something to do. And then it usually ingratiates them to the team. It gets them into the team really well too when they show like, hey, look, on my first day, I did this. And here's my sort of record of it. And I gave a presentation in front of 10 people and they all really liked it. It encourages that person, I think. Um, and then everybody has respect for them almost to me. So 
it's just a great way and and we've done it a few times now and it seems to be everybody seems to like it I think it yeah works. there's a couple of there's a couple of really good things there uh one i think it's super important when somebody comes on to get them contributing as as possible i know that there's a lot of situations and a lot of companies where that can take forever and the company may think that they're being really trying to find a better word than nice um where they're 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 communicating to the to the new person oh don't worry about it you know there's a lot to learn just like hang out and you know you'll you'll you know you'll figure it out but don't don't worry about trying to like jump in and contribute immediately and i'm sure to a manager or a company with a process like that it seems like well we want it to be really gradual you know scary no pressure but on the other hand, you can't it's like you can't really protect people that way. The best you can do is yeah. make them more capable. And I, I suppose there's a little bit of a sink or swim thing that's going on. It's like either you get someone who can swim or you get someone who can't, and then it's a good thing to know early. But on the other hand, I think it's also I think what you're saying too is that the communication, that presentation angle, it is that team okay so for the person you want to show them like look you can come in and you can contribute you are a valuable member of the team and that is a very good thing to establish early you don't want them to learn or habituate to not contributing and then on the flip side is the other people on the team should really know how to uh, interact with them what to expect from them to to know how they yeah how they work um, and just figure that out early rather than okay they've been here for two weeks and i still don't know anything and then that presentation part uh i think that's insanely valuable from a company point of view to know all right well what does our code base look like to a set of eyes like have we just gotten used to sidestepping all the landmines but we've never actually put flags there or like dug them up or anything like that and to have somebody new come in and be like well this sucks is you're like okay i guess we should we should do something about that um and also the institutional knowledge like i think i think one of the more valuable things uh you can do if you have an internal team is make sure that that institutional knowledge is shared that's what that's what makes the company stronger over time and uh more than a sum of its parts as opposed to getting a dev shop or an agency where that that knowledge is always out of house and as time goes on makes it an increasingly scary and expensive proposition to switch away from that vendor or or agency um oh, yeah. do you give them any guidance on that that presentation or has yeah what's that look like no intentionally no mm-hmm. uh we tell them we don't show them any presentations that have been done before we don't even necessarily get a template or anything like that we just tell them use your best judgment and this is who the audience is the audience is a mix of technical and non-technical so mm-hmm. we're really looking to see what their approach approach is also for making presentations so are they going to go use some default thing, open up the, the presentation software, or are they going to go find a template for $3 on uh, stock template sites? And sometimes they ask and they say, hey, do you have a template? And I'll say, oh, I like this general style. But for the most part, I give them no direction whatsoever because it's also part of the test. It's mm-hmm. the first week of work for us. So it's still testing them out, seeing them, because mm-hmm. it's almost still part of the interview. Yeah, And you want to see what their visual style is like. And what's funny is... What happened with one person who did this, one new person who started maybe a couple months ago, came in and did a really nice looking presentation, really went above and beyond, I thought. 
And then right afterwards, the uh, one of the other engineers who'd been there for a while said, oh, no, I guess we got to step up our presentation game. And I said, yeah, exactly. That's exactly why we did this was to raise the bar a little bit yeah. for everybody and show, hey, the new person coming in did a pretty good job, maybe better than our usual. So it's time to step it up. That's an interesting point with evaluation, right? I think I think at some time, yeah, sometimes you don't want to put a ceiling on um, what somebody can can deliver, right? If you if you say this is exactly what we expect, it's our uh, our format, this is our style, this is a template. Uh, you're you're putting a lot of constraints on what they can do, and if they are more capable, or they're going to put more energy into it or innovate a little bit, you are closing off all of that possibility. Um, of course, at the risk of being, you know, a little bit more vague, a little bit more ambiguous, maybe a little bit more to the extent that it's a test, it makes it a little bit more subjective and possibly unfair. But I think that's a that's a good balance to try and define as a being very prescriptive. That's also part of the work environment, the real work environment. <laughs> we don't always have the clearest requirements and uh, we don't always have the best documentation. And so that's also, yeah, them, them not having a spec or them not having a requirement for doing like a presentation, it's pretty accurate to reality. And maybe someday we'll change that, but mm -hmm. everybody really likes the, the pioneering feel of it to some extent. We like seeing our product evolve over time and, and get better and get cooler and get more fun. But um, yeah, I think it doesn't always feel like a, job if mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of the things that make it feel corporate like oh mm -hmm. did you write your your specification documentation blah 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 2.0 not big eh. on waterfall yeah not so much not not in this not in this climate we're moving so fast we're building the product i, I mean this is everybody's going to disagree with me on this but sometimes the product if it's done really well can be a form of documentation. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get some flack. On oh, that. I don't know if everyone's going to disagree with you. I, th I would say there are certain certainly people that I know that would would be very vocal about their disagreement. But I think there's also plenty of people who would uh, that. I mean, I think there's different. I don't know. I think you know, stepping back and looking at that type of uh, stance um, from a little further out, right? Like any any product, any physical object, um, even services like that, right? You can always have a sign sitting next to it that says, hey, human, like, here's how you should interact with this thing. And documentation yeah. is sort of the, the same thing. It's like you're being very explicit. It, it's, it's kind of stepping in for having someone standing there being a guide, like talking at them to like, here's how you use this thing. Here's what you should do. Um, but you know, a lot of that stuff can be made unnecessary by good design. There's there's a lot of objects, yeah. there's a lot of products, there's even even, you know, I guess to the extent some services that just looking at them or investigating them a little bit, you can do away with a lot of that that necessary guidance, right? I guess one of the ones that I think somebody talked about recently was Super Mario Brothers for the for the NES, right? You you didn't need an instruction book for that. Right. Like you just kind of push buttons and even the level design, it's like, oh, okay, we'll go here. You can hit the bricks. You run into the Goomba, you die, you start over. It's like, okay, like I'll avoid the Goombas or whatever. And, you know, again, this is pretty zoomed out from code, but I'm not really a big fan of comments in my code because now 
don't get me wrong, there's plenty of code bases that don't have comments that are a complete nightmare and no one can figure things yeah. out. However, if you make it a goal to have a code base that is readable without comments, I would say that's that's even better. Now, if you can't achieve that, by all means, write some comments. Um, there's other things too, like with testing and examples. There's there's all different forms of, I guess I don't really want to call them documentation, but there's all different forms of education or hinting or I don't know, accessory auxiliary help that can cover for each other in the in yeah. the presence of really good code examples like in the let's say we're talking about a library if you have really good code examples you may not need a whole lot of documentation you may not need api specifications if if the thing is a particular way maybe simple enough or whatever to cover 90 yeah. percent of the use case of like oh okay if i want to use this here's what i want to do oh i can also use it this way also use it this way okay well that that pretty much covers me. And maybe there's no additional API documentation, no formal, you know, what the different arguments and options are, but just yeah. with those examples. And if it's open source, you kind of can dig in the rest, like that gets you the rest of the way there. Or maybe it's tests, you know, it just has a yep. really good test suite, not as user friendly, but, you know, different things like that. I think I've probably gone into the weeds on this one, but just to say I'm in the camp where, documentation is not end-all be-all there are different forms that can just as useful to be employed yeah and and the way that i would frame it also is that if all you're doing for documentation is putting comments in, in lines of code that's not enough mm -hmm. so that's not going to do the trick for the rest yeah. of us we do need tests we do need maybe a, a tutorial screen mm -hmm. if even necessary or just or how about you make it really intuitive yeah. and use, put some user experience on it? So that's something that we look at with virtual and augmented reality all the time is the usability. Do people know what to do with their hands in mm -hmm. VR? Do they understand that if they put their palm up, there's a menu button, but if they put their palm down, then they're teleporting. And so that's if you make it really intuitive, then you don't need to worry so much about walking people through every little minute detail of how to do this you don't have to train them on it and same with right. the same with the developers if the program is if the, everything is arranged in an intuitive manner uh, that follows some level of standards then things are where you expect them to be it's like like a clean workspace and you walk into it and you say oh well that's over there and that's exactly where i thought it would be and you didn't need to have uh, a hundred signs pointing at, hey, that's where that is. You right. just had a really well laid out room. Yeah. Yeah. And in some cases, I think needing a ton of documentation is almost a it's a bad sign. Right? Yeah. Like if you if you need a lot of documentation, it's possible that, OK, it's just a really complex or complicated thing. And it has to be um, nothing. Not not everything can be super simple. Um, and maybe that's just just a hard requirement. Or maybe you can step back and think, all right, well, maybe maybe we're approaching this wrong. Maybe yeah. maybe all of these epicycles that we have on here, uh, if we just change it from, uh, you know, geocentric to heliocentric, a lot of it's going to get cleaned up or something. Um, so that's yeah, that's a really interesting point. I, I think it's kind of broad and pretty zoomed out, but it's a it's definitely an interesting thing to keep in mind. Uh, so 
we're um, sort of getting close to time. But before we before we do, uh, I think a lot of people right now um, maybe have graduated from a coding boot camp or something like that. They're junior, possibly looking for their first job. We're still in the middle of a pandemic and, uh, you know, a lot of transition to remote work and things like that. Uh, do you do you have any sense of like what you would do if you were in a situation like that? Let's I I know it's hard to uh, lay out the internal consistencies of uh, of that logic, but let's say you were you were fresh out of coding school today or something. Like, how would you approach? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because I think that the wonderful thing about right now is that the playing field is somewhat level. Mm. So now everybody's trying to figure out how this is going to work, which means that nobody's quite figured out how it's going to work yet, which means that you have the same chances as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, there's no sort of guide for that, but I'll, I'll talk about a few things that I think would be a good idea. One of them is get a nice webcam, um, get, get good audio on your webcam. If you're going to be conducting interviews through it, that quality of communication, especially the audio, I would say, maybe even more so than the video, that is going to be one of the largest sources of data that the other person is going to use mm. to understand what's going on as, you know, vocal inflection, tonality, focus, concentration. They're going to see if your eyes are, you know, wandering all over the place while they're talking or if they're focused on, on your eyes. So there are a lot of, you have an opportunity, but also you have to be cognizant of how this new medium of communication is being perceived on the other side. So I would say get really good audio, practice doing conference calls, practice doing these types of online video calls, um, learn how to share your screen, have your screen <laughs> cleaned up when you're doing it. No, but I think I think more than anything, it's just get comfortable with getting to know somebody through a video screen and mm-hmm. learn the skills. It's a different set of skills, even from a leadership perspective, it's not going to be as much about extroversion. It's a lot more intimate of a format of communication. So it's going to be a lot more concentration and focus, more one-to-one. So I would say learn that side of the skill set of how do you interact with one person, maybe more so than how do you interact with the team? Because mm-hmm. that's what we're all stuck on right now is primarily this one-to-one. That's really good. All right. Well, I think that is it for today. Um, yeah, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? So badvr.com, and then it'll sort of spider out from there. But uh, or you can just search my name. It's a fairly unique name, and you'll be able to find whatever you want on Google. But I'm easy to get a hold of if you try, and you can figure it out. <laughs> and uh, by all means. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll have some, uh, some hints in the in the show notes. Well, perfect. Uh, Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to See. And if you've enjoyed the show and want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career, head on over to community.juniortoseniors.io. Thanks.